Welcome to the new Docs in a Pod presented by WellMed. Over the next half hour, Docs in a Pod will educate you about the health and wellness of adults everywhere. Co-hosts Dr. Audrey Baria and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron will share information to improve your health and well-being. And now here are Ron Aaron and Dr. Audrey Baria. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And we're delighted to welcome you to Docs in a Pod presented by WellMed. I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Dr. Audrey Barria, on special assignment today, and filling in for her is her colleague from the Wilma at Ninth Avenue Clinic in St. Petersburg, Florida, Olivia Rahman. Uh, Olivia earned her nursing degree from Florida State University in Tallahassee, Florida. Earned her master's degree with honors in nursing from the University of South Florida in Tampa. She's board certified in family practice. She previously received a Bachelor of Science degree in psychology from Florida State. Olivia is a 2018 DAISY Award winner. A DAISY Award recipient is a registered nurse who exemplifies the nursing values, extraordinary compassion, courage, integrity in every situation. From 2014 to 2015, Nurse Raman worked as a middle school teacher in the National Teach for America program. And Olivia, we are so pleased to have you pinch hitting today for Dr. Baria. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the kinds of issues we'll be talking about today as we take a look with our, our guest at the common health concerns in the Hispanic community. Sure. Hi, Ron. I'm glad Hi. to be here. Fill it in for Dr. Baria. Anytime you need me. Perfect. Um, so it's Hispanic Heritage Month. That's why we're talking about this today. Or well, rather, it starts next week. Um, and, you know, one, uh, one in six people living in the U.S. identify as Hispanic. So they're our largest minority group. And they have a little bit of different health concerns. You know, they're similar to other races and other populations, but sometimes the number, you know, leading cause of death or most popular are just a little bit out of order. So we'll kind of be talking about the things that they deal with. The one thing I have right off the top of my paper is that they're 50% more likely to die from diabetes and liver disease wow. than white Americans. So now in the state of Texas, uh, Hispanic population is now the majority population. So uh, no longer minority population in Texas. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah Florida, I know South Florida has a large Hispanic population. Um, where I'm from right in St. Petersburg, it's right. not as large, but. Well, that's cool. Let's welcome our special guest. Uh, joining us today is uh, Dr. Cesar Sandati. He's a doctor of osteopathy. You find him at the Wellmed at Murchison in El Paso, Texas. He earned his medical degree from Lake Erie College of Osteopathic Medicine in Erie, Pennsylvania. He then completed his residency at William Beaumont Medical Center in El Paso. Dr. Sandati's specialty is internal medicine. And, and Cesar, we thank you for joining us. Appreciate you coming on. Oh, no, thank you. Uh, thank you for welcoming Ron and uh, Olivia. It's a pleasure to join us today to talk about uh, common diseases or disorders affecting the Hispanic population. And well, um, talk to us a little bit about States. Give us an overview about uh, what it is patients who come to you who may be Hispanic uh, are at risk for and should be aware of. Here, especially here in El Paso, you know, and that's possibly nationwide, uh, a lot of the patients that present to our clinic here, well met, as you know, they're uh, mostly elderly, you know. Uh, we do see some younger people, less than, less than 65. Uh, and the majority are coming in with uh, basically 
an overweight issue such as obesity, you know, uh, uncontrolled blood sugars, uh, also uh, fatty liver disease, which is a uh, 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 underdiagnosed uh, and undertreated disorder right now affecting uh, Hispanics, uh, but also again, high blood pressure, um, coronary vascular heart disease, you know, uh, I see a lot of uh, heart failure and chronic kidney disease, which are, uh, you know, um, uh, taking a lot of uh, lives uh, in the Hispanic uh, population nowadays. Talk to me a little bit about fatty liver disease. What is it other than a fatty liver? <laughs> sure. Uh, let me. Uh, yes. Okay. So uh, fatty liver disease is basically, uh, we classify it as non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, uh, which is a form of liver disease associated with uh, fatty deposition uh, in the liver. And it's usually linked to hyperinsulinemia or insulin resistance and hypertriglyceremia, uh, which means high triglycerides. Uh, so the more, the higher your triglycerides are, the more obese you are and the more insulin resistant you are, the likely, uh, and the older you are, the likely of you having fatty liver disease. What are triglycerides? So triglycerides, uh, is, as you know, uh, normally uh, when we check a patient's uh, lipid profile, uh, we get like about five uh, markers of uh, lipid uh, um, uh, markers. And this includes the triglyceride level uh, normally, we want the level to be less than 150, but it's another form of cholesterol. Uh, you also have your LDL, which is the bad cholesterol, and then you have your good cholesterol, uh, which is your HDL. And then, of course, you have the total cholesterol and then the triglycerides, uh, which also are a component of the lipid profile. Now, hold that thought. I'm going to come right back to you, but I want to let folks who may have just joined us know you're listening to Docs in a Pod presented by WellMed. I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Dr. Audrey Barra, is on special assignment today, and we're talking with her colleague at uh, her clinic down in Florida, Olivia Rahman, who is a nurse practitioner, and we really appreciate Olivia being with us. So, Olivia, as uh, Dr. Sandati was talking about uh, the various markers for cholesterol, what do you see in your patients? So, I see in all races people often have elevated cholesterol. The older we get, the more likely it is to be elevated, whether that is just your body's metabolism, you've gained weight, you're eating more poorly, you're exercising less. Um, and like we were talking about, there are five markers. Triglycerides is more so, can more so be related to sugar as well as um, saturated fats. So sometimes we'll see those elevated while the rest of your cholesterol is not. Um, and diabetics, a lot of the times, will have high triglycerides as well as high cholesterol. So it kind of all goes together. They go hand in hand. Yeah. So, Dr. Sindati, uh, Olivia mentioned earlier about the risk of dying from diabetes if you happen to be uh, Hispanic. What do you see in your practice? Uh, well, I see the progression of uh, diabetic manifestations or complications, uh, which uh, include, uh, you know, the chronic kidney disease. Uh, we see also uh, diabetic retinopathy, you know, eventually these people will go blind as that disease progress. Uh, they also get peripheral artery disease uh, and peripheral neuropathy. Uh, but 
those are not, I mean, that, that could be uh, a, a complication for, uh, I mean, for death eventually, because they, they lose their, they lose their, their feet, they're amputated, you know, below the knee, uh, but also they lose sensation so they can, uh, they're more, they're more prone to injure their lower extremities since they aren't able to uh, sense or, or feel uh, when they're walking. Uh, again, peripheral artery disease also is like a silent killer, you know, similar to coronary heart disease. Uh, it's, uh, it's just basically blockage of the lower extremities, uh, fatty I mean, not fatty deposition, but cholesterol deposits on the lower extremities. And these patients can present uh, with something called claudication, which is just, it's called leg pain, especially that it's worse when you walk. It's very similar when you have uh, chest pain that it gets worse when you exert yourself. Same thing here. If you exert yourself, you're gonna start getting leg pain. And the reason most likely is because you have an occlusion or partial occlusion of the lower extremity. That would be a blockage. Kind of yes, uh, cholesterol uh, uh, deposition. Uh, yes, sir. And is there treatment for that? Yes, uh, there, there is treatment. Uh, there's one thing that uh, providers can do when they assess a patient with peripheral artery disease. You know, uh, for every visit that I have with a patient, I always make sure I check the lower extremities, especially my diabetics. You know, you want to check their pulses. Uh, that's, uh, that will give you a clue, even looking at their legs, you know, seeing if they have any hair uh, in their legs. Uh, you can see skin changes. You can also see uh, you know, nail changes. And that uh, sort of will tell me, you know, if this patient is, uh, you know, uh, most likely having some kind of uh, peripheral artery disease, uh, checking the, the pedal pulses, uh, the, the, the popliteal pulses, you know, even the femoral pulses. Uh, but there's a test that we can do, most practitioners can do in their clinic. It's called an ABI. That's an ankle brachial index. And it's very simple to perform. It's basically, you just take the blood pressure uh, of the lower extremity, uh, both lower extremities and also the upper extremities. And basically you just divide the ratio of the ankle blood pressure to the uh, blood pressure of the upper extremity. And then you get a ratio. And based on that ratio, we can classify you as having no PAD or, or PAD. Uh, and then from there, you can have mild, moderate, or severe, um, and eventually, you know, can lead to critical limb ischemia, which is basically, it's uh, where you, you're you're in the risk of basically losing your extremity uh, because you have no flow to your uh, leg. Or your and feet. what does that do then? What's the impact? Impact. In other words, uh, if you don't have flow, blood flow to your leg, that oh, can't yeah, be yeah. good. So, of course. So like I tell you, that's when it comes very critical limb ischemia. So that's when you have to have urgent uh, surgery, you know, uh, they, they can perform something called angioplasty, sim similar to what we perform. The cardiologist will perform angioplasty when someone has uh, chest pain and they have a, 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 a basically stenotic vessel or narrowing of the vessel. So they will uh, do angioplasty, which is just ballooning of the blood vessel. So you can do that in your legs too. You can also uh, do endovascular procedure where you just block, you just uh, basically shoot medication and it dissolves sort of the, either the clot or uh, breakdown of the, uh, the, of, the, of the cholesterol plaque. You can also put a stent in the leg 
And uh, uh, at times you can also do bypass, you know. Now, who does that surgery? Usually uh, uh, vascular surgeons, uh, they will do that. Uh, so the key here is, you know, uh, there's so many uh, patients that have PAD, they don't have it. Uh, uh, they're symptomatic, but, you know, as they start exerting themselves, they start having leg pain, you know, they start having numbness or tingling. Uh, you have to assess for, you know, check the, make sure their artery system is okay. Check the venous system to make sure it's not venous insufficiency, which is due to varicose veins uh, or venous reflux disease. So uh, by checking the pulses, by doing an ABI uh, or, D, or even going further, doing like a, an arterial ultrasound of the lower extremities uh, that can quant qualify, I mean, that can, uh, that can tell you where exactly is the blockage, you know, or you can even do a CT angiogram of the lower extremities and that uh, it will be sort of like the gold standard to tell you where exactly the blockage is and where the uh, thoracic, I mean, the cardiovascular surgeon needs to intervene. So like with the heart, you shoot dye into their veins? Similar, exactly. Very, very, very similar to a coronary angiography. Exactly. All right, stay with us. We're going to come right back to you. We're talking about diabetics and others who are Hispanic and the different kinds of health concerns they may have. I'm Ron Aaron, filling in today for Dr. Audrey Maria. Our special guest host is nurse practitioner Olivia Raman, and we're talking on our Doxinopod hotline to uh, uh, Dr. Cesar Sandati. And he's at Wilmet at Murchison in El Paso, Texas. You're listening to Docs in a Pod. Hi, it's Drew Pearson for my friends at Wilmet. As a Hall of Famer, I love it when a quarterback and receiver have a great connection. You can be part of a great connection too. Connecting Wilmet's high quality healthcare with the highest rated Medicare Advantage plan helps you focus on staying healthy. Call 210-436-6005 or visit wellmedhealthcare.com slash connect. Drew Pearson is a paid spokesperson. Other plans are accepted. For full enrollment details, visit medicare.gov. We thank you so much for sticking with us on Docs in a Pod. I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host today is Olivia Raman, a nurse practitioner. Uh, she's filling in for Dr. Audrey Barria. Uh, years ago, when I was executive director of the Rape Crisis Center in San Antonio, Olivia, uh, one of the things we discovered is that there was tremendous resistance in the Hispanic community about seeking help, especially psychological help for someone who may have been a, been a victim of, of sexual violence. It was a sociological issue that we had to deal with. And we talk about health and health concerns within the Hispanic community as we're doing today with Dr. Cesar Sandate. Uh, what are you seeing sociologically as you take a look at the issue, Olivia? Well, a few of the social factors that might contribute to why the Hispanic population maybe doesn't seek medical care um, a lot of Hispanics, so one in three Hispanic people living in the United States haven't finished high school. So there could be like an educational barrier. Um, one in three also don't speak English very well. And I think this might be um, more Hispanics that were born in other countries. But, you know, they're afraid to come or they might be. I can't speak to this, but they might feel afraid to come to a doctor's office 
not knowing if anybody would understand them or how the interpreter situation would be or that they might not understand what's being told to them. So um, really having like interpreters available is going to help eliminate some of the barrier there and then engaging like community health workers who either work, you know, in um, population health, they work for the health department, they can help educate communities on free low cost services that are available and help get other populations um, who might not have health insurance hooked up with health insurance because a lot of those issues. And Dr. Sandaria, I would assume in El Paso, uh, there are a number of people who are Spanish speaking. Uh, Is that a barrier to getting access to health? Um, Not necessarily. I mean, uh, here in El Paso, I mean, I grew up here. I know the community very well. Uh, it, it is growing, you know, it's, it's a small city. It's almost growing like almost Dallas, you know, size. And uh, we do have like a very strong uh, uh, network of doctors and clinics and hospitals. So there is access to patients, but we do have to, I agree with Olivia, we do have to uh, uh, go to those small communities where they're uh, undeserved, you know, low socioeconomic status, uh, low level of education. Uh, we do have to uh, go out to those communities and uh, educate them, you know, that there is uh, healthcare out there for them, you know. Um, and as you know, during the pandemic, uh, Hispanics were affected uh, quite as, as everyone in the world but uh, Hispanics were, uh, you know, because of their conditions, they're diabetic, they're, they're, uh, they're hypertensive, uh, you know, they're, they had worse uh, uh, COVID, you know, uh, 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 the severity of COVID much was worse because of those comorbidities. Is there a resistance to vaccination within one community or another? Uh, so far here, I think we have a very uh, high uh, uh, rate of vaccination for the COVID here in El Paso. I mean, the majority, almost 70% are Hispanics here. Uh, but uh, I, I hardly get any resistance from my patients. You know, now it's flu season. I'm offering the flu. And, you know, uh, you know, uh, most of the patients yeah, tell me, you know, yeah, let me get it right now. Or, you know, they want to wait until next visit, but, I, you know, I, I'm forced, you know, it's like previous, I mean, next visit will be in three months. And, you know, I just diagnosed a lady with flu. She was 94 years old and she came to oh, the wow. clinic very, very exhausted. And um, I just decided to do a flu test and it was positive, you know, because she was achy and it was flu B. So, uh, you know, I, I, I tell my patients, you know, flu is here already. So get vaccinated. That, that, that could be life-threatening for her. Yeah, especially a 94 year old. Uh, uh, she uh, she was uh, brought in by her daughter and she had just been released from the hospital with a urinary tract infection that eventually went into her bloodstream, which is called urosepsis. So Ooh. she was out, but she was prone uh, to getting sort of like a, 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 a hospital acquired pneumonia, you know, or or community acquired pneumonia after hospitalization, you know. So uh, I did test her for other uh, 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 viruses, but she was negative for those. But the influenza can actually can kill people. You know, even though we didn't see much influenza uh, last year, uh, and that was mostly due to the N95 wearing masks, you know, and um, 
and prevention. So, uh, but uh, uh, flu does kill people. Talk to us a little bit about uh, the other conditions that uh, you see within the Hispanic community uh, that should be of concern and interest. So one of the biggest things that I think is uh, uh, linked to most of the diseases that everyone in the nation, not only Hispanics, uh, get is something called the metabolic syndrome. And I'm sure um, um, Olivia knows it because she sees it all the time. And we see individuals, you know, meeting a criteria for this metabolic syndrome. And what a metabolic syndrome is basically is, uh, is uh, it's made up of uh, five criteria. You have to meet three of those five criteria to cl classify us as metabolic syndrome. And nearly most of the patients that we see are have metabolic syndrome. Uh, you know, uh, one of them uh, criteria is obesity. Uh, anyone that's obese uh, with a BMI of greater than 30, or you can also check the waist circumference for men, anyone uh, over 40 inches for men is considered positive uh, uh, waist circumference for uh, obesity and for women greater than 35 inches. Uh, elevated triglycerides that we had talked to before, uh, greater than 150 is another criteria. And then the low uh, HDL, which is the good cholesterol. Uh, normally if that's low uh, for women, uh, if it's low less than 50, it's considered risk factor. And then for men, less than 40. And then blood pressure, anyone with a blood pressure of 130, that's the top number, which is a systolic and anyone uh, or diastolic blood pressure less, uh, over one uh, over 85 is considered positive for that uh, risk factor. And then uh, hypertriglyceridemia, I mean, a hyperglycemia, which is high sugar, anyone over 100 uh, uh, milligrams of deciliter or impaired fasting glucose, which is between one, uh, 120 to I mean, 100 to 125 or 120. So, so what, what would the patient uh, experience with metabolic syndrome? Are there uh, uh, issues that they would come to you and say, you know, this is bothering me, this is bothering me, and you say to yourself, metabolic syndrome? Uh, so they can present, uh, you know, with uh, high sugars, but not necessarily close to diabetic range, you know, where you can have the classic symptoms of diabetes where they, you know, they're peeing a lot, they're drinking a lot, they're eating a lot, uh, but they can just, just present with, you know, headache due to high blood pressure, you know, elevation. Uh, also, uh, you know, chest pain, you know, because of the high triglyceridemia or even pancreatitis when it's super high over a thousand, that's when we worry about uh, having uh, pancreatic inflammation, which is pancreatitis. Um, they can also present, uh, you know, uh, dizzy, you know, fatigue. Uh, um, they can also have, uh, let's see here. Like I told Olivia, you. Olivia, what do you see? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm saying um, Olivia. Yeah, so it's kind of just like a combination of five different, you know, risk factors, like he was saying, but the problem with metabolic syndrome is it can put you at risk for heart multiple. disease. So yeah, mo mainly, you know, the big one would be heart disease, but multiple other things, diabetes. Um, and in the general population, heart disease is the number one um, cause of leading cause of death. Yeah, killer. Yeah, which I, I don't know how up to date this was, but when I was looking at things for Hispanic population, it actually lists cancer as the number one leading cause of death 
in that community. I'm not sure how accurate that is, or at least at one time it was. So that's also something kind of- And what do you see, Dr. Sindati? So uh, I, I see the complications of metabolic syndrome, which are the main uh, uh, disorders that everyone's facing, not only Hispanics, you know, uh, liver disease. Now we talk about like fatty liver disease or non-alcoholic fatty liver disease that can eventually lead to cirrhosis or end-stage liver disease. If, if this fatty liver is not treated, it can also lead to chronic kidney disease, uh, uh, cardiovascular disease, such as uh, coronary heart disease, uh, uh, heart attacks, strokes, obstructive sleep apnea is another big one uh, associated with metabolic syndrome. Uh, so well, we are, we're flat out of time. Maybe oh. uh, the best oh. advice we can give to everybody in honor of Hispanic Heritage Month is go see your PCP, get your annual checkup. Great advice. Absolutely. Hey, thank you, Dr. Sindati. Thank you, Olivia. Oh, no, thank you so much. Appreciate you me. being here. It's You've been listening great. to Docs in a Pod presented by WellMed. Our co-host today, Olivia Raman, who is a nurse practitioner down in St. Petersburg, Florida. And thank you to Dr. Cesar Sindati, a doctor of osteopathy. And we're delighted to have him on board all the way from El Paso, Texas. I'm Ron Aaron. Thanks for joining us on Docs in a Pod. Executive producers for Docs in a Pod are Dan Calderon and Leah Madrano. Our producer is Isaac Wilker, and associate producers are Natalie Ibarra and Maurice Hudson. Thank you for listening to Docs in a Pod, presented by WellMed. We welcome your emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. And be sure and tune in next week for another edition of Docs in a Pod with Dr. Audrey Barria and Ron Aaron.